Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of John. The time came for Hanukkah, the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple area in Solomon's porch. When the temple authorities surrounded him and said, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you really are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The work I do in my Abba's name gives witness in my favor, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never be lost. No one can ever snatch them away from my hand. Abba God, who gave them to me, is greater than anyone, and no one can steal them from Abba God, for Abba and I are one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, as we show up into this space, as we bring just all of who we are, we ask that your presence that we have already proclaimed as within and all around would meet us here. Could you help us quiet the voices in our heads? The ones that are judging, condemning, worrying. Could, could they just have a break? Could your voice one of compassion, understanding, meaning, truth. Could it speak? Could it whisper? Could it silently be with us here now? Lord, I pray that you would speak because your servants are listening. And I pray that you would use the words of a broken man like me for your glory. It's in your holy and beautiful name we pray. Amen. We're in the season right now of Easter Tide, which is um, these seven weeks after Easter, because the reminder that Easter is not just a day that we celebrate, but, but it's a life that we are called and we step into to be a people of Easter, to be a people of hope and resurrection um, here and now and in this space and in this land to stand with that hope that Christ has offered and that is within us. And so we're going through these passages in which Jesus kind of d declares a little bit who he is and understanding who Christ is, I think we get a lens into understanding who our true self is as well. He leads, he guides, he shows us the wild and crazy ways in which we were created and shaped and formed into when asked about the rhythm of swing, Louis Armstrong famously replied, if you have to ask, you'll never know. His point wasn't to exclude anyone from understanding what swing is. Rather, his point was that a verbal defining of it isn't a path to understanding it. Let me say that one more time. His point was that a verbal defining of it wasn't a path to understanding it. 
On the contrary, the way to understand swing is to hear it, to dance to it, to get to feel it within. In the end, swing isn't about something that can be explained. It has to be experienced. The same is true with God. God is not some object to be explained or controlled. In the scripture itself, God is even hard to name. It's a movement, a verb, a presence. God is to be, as Christ says, experienced, lived, worked out in our life. I think some of our greatest theology, some of our greatest practice follows the art of improv. It it is something in which we are present to the moment with our bodies. We step into the flow of this life and we respond to the movement of what is happening in us and we're not able to say this is God and this wasn't God, this is what true and this is untrue, this is good and this is bad, but we're just reacting to the moments, not being totally overcome by it. We do have a deeper rooted history in which we are improving from, but we are on the move in the experience of God. Or maybe as St. Paul once said, in her we live, we move, we have our being. Is this what you know about God? That in God you live, you move, and you have your being? I don't know, but that's not what I was taught. And so in this passage, we see Jesus living, moving, and having being in this relationship with the one that he calls Abba, and calling us into the same listening and movement for our life. It was the festival of dedication known as Hanukkah. It is, this was commemorating the Jewish cleansing and the restoring of the temple in 164 BCE. Jesus is walking on the temple grounds. He's along this long porch that is a, or like it's a covered walkway, is called the, the, the Porch of Solomon. And he's walking in this beautiful place, this, this amazing lo- location. And controversially, like Jesus often does, they begin to ask him about, well, are you the Messiah? You've been rolling around and kind of talking for a while. We really need to know who you are. All the things had heated up to this moment. In chapter 9, Jesus had healed this blind man, but he did it on the Sabbath, which is the wrong day, Jesus. Get it together. So he heals this blind man on the Sabbath. The blind man shows up to the same temple, and he says, hey, I'm healed. And they say, you shouldn't be. He did it on the wrong day. This isn't how it's supposed to be happening. They start to ask this blind man all these questions about what happened into his life. He's like, I don't know, I just met this guy and I I couldn't see and now I see. And he said, come to this holy place, to this temple. So Jesus is in the same place, but he does not have fans or friends and a crowd gathers around. They're pressing in on him and they want to know who are you? Explain yourself. Have you ever felt that in your own life? Maybe it's as simple as the moment where you know you're walking into it, a job interview or school interview or something, and someone's like, just explain who you are. Like, like, are you good or bad person? Have you achieved or not achieved? And so you're like, okay, let me just try to hide 90% of my life, and I will show you my Instagram part of my life. <laughs> Somehow Jesus doesn't have an ability. I don't know, he just kind of has a way of 
improving and bringing all of who he is. Jesus has this amazing thing, which is going to be my new strategy in life, was, is when asked a question, Jesus asks a question back. Who are you? I don't know. Who are you? Try it. I mean, try a whole day just like anytime someone asks you a question, ask a question back just for the fun. So Jesus gets asked this question, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. My friends, it is so easy to talk about these people as these people. Um, It's usually defined as the Jewish leaders. They're usually seen as maybe these people who are the enemies to Christ. It is so easy to just laugh and go, they're mad about the Sabbath thing. I don't even get that. They're mad at Jesus because he's like healing people and saying good things. And here they are just maybe asking more questions. Take a moment and do what we are supposed to do when we interpret scripture instead of always putting ourselves in the hero place. Sometimes scripture asks us to live on the other side. How, How many times has this been your prayer to God? How long are you going to keep me in suspense? God, if you're there, and I don't even know that, will you just kind of speak plainly into this world of who you are? I don't know about you, but that's an everyday prayer for me. I see another moment of suffering and another shooting. I see a kid crying. I see brokenness in my own soul, and my heart goes to exactly where these people are. Why the suspense? Why the trauma, God? If you are what you say you are, love, compassion, truth, goodness, holiness, can, can you just make it just a little bit more plain? These are beautiful questions. Who are you, God? What is God? And I don't think that Jesus just disowns them. I just listened to a podcast this week um, with someone who interviews all these different faith traditions and people about this question, who are you, God, and what is God? And I heard all these amazing kind of like non-answer answers, and I felt at home. Because it's, it's something I just don't think we talk about. When we're, we're trying to define what and who and what is this whole thing that we showed up to this morning, it's like we think everyone else has the right answer and we're just kind of hiding back our experiences and our doubts, our confusion, and we're wondering, man, it, it, maybe, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't show up anymore. I don't have a clear answer to that. I think Jesus would look and say, yeah, that's, that's the exact place to start. It's not that clarity isn't kindness, that is true. But certainty has a way of just missing the mark when talking about who God is. These are beautiful questions that they ask. Now, the intent that they're coming with is usually to trap, to anger, but I think even under that intent is a curiosity of who, who are you? Can we ask those questions boldly as a community? Who is this God? How are you experiencing? Can we ask it without going, I hope that you say this answer. Jesus says, well, the problem is I told you and you did not believe. According to John, Jesus hasn't yet spoken directly to this question in public. He has said privately to his disciples when Peter asks, are you the Messiah? Or he says, I think you're the Messiah. Um, and Jesus says, yeah, you got, you got it right there, Peter, for once. But he hasn't said it to the crowd. 
But when Jesus says here, I have told you, he doesn't mean that, he doesn't mean with words. He means with actions of healing, feeling, restoration. With my life, I have displayed who I am. Yeah, you want it written down. You want a title with it. You want me to wear the name tag, show you the diploma, give you the resume. But let me show you who I am through my works, through my improv of healing, feeding, restoring, and giving life to this world. And he says, for those who have eyes will see, for those who have ears will hear clearly who he is. In Matthew and Luke, when John the baptizer sends word and asks, who are you the one who is to come? Even John, John, this like best friend, the one who has set his whole life for the coming of Christ, John says, just a quick question, before I kind of die for this whole situation, would love to know who, who you are. Are you the one? Or should we be looking for someone else? Another beautiful and honest question. Jesus says gently, compassionately, and fully to John, tell John what you hear and what you see. I heal, I care for the poor, I bring justice into this world. And John says, yeah, that's exactly what we're looking for, needing to experience. Jesus is saying, my friends, I, in some ways talk is cheap. It's my actions that are gonna say and proclaim it all to you. Now we shouldn't separate our words and our actions because they are held together as one, but for so long and so much of our history, we have based everything on on actions, facts, and these certainties. And Jesus says, "I, I am living into this life here and now. Come, watch, see, taste, and you will know. I had a good friend that was struggling with, um, spiritual director that was struggling with this identity of like, do I call myself a Christian anymore? What that means means so many different things depending on which room we are in. I'm talking really fast, aren't I? Yeah. What is a Christian? She was like, I don't know how to hold that label anymore for myself because someone may think it's this or that. And so her and her husband were going back and forth, like, what should we call ourselves? Jesus people, followers, I don't know. What. And, and then this, um, her father, who was 88, he said, what if you just called it like, I'm practicing Christianity for a little bit? She was like, that was so freeing to me. It freed me from this set of like, this is, what I, this is exactly what I believe, and this is my mind laid out on paper to, this is how I'm trying to live my everyday life in the midst of community with God and others. I am practicing this Christian walk, this Christ-following way. I'm looking at my actions, my practices, my postures, my humility that come out in my words, but also come out in my everyday life. And practicing has a way of saying, I haven't finished it. I'm not done. Practicing often means I'm kind of failing and stumbling in it, and some days are beautiful. It's a journey that I'm walking, and I'm not walking alone. This is what Jesus is saying about who he is. So why don't Jesus' critics recognize him as Messiah? Do they lack the right doctrine? The right idea, looking for the right signs, waiting for him to win the right argument. Jesus says this isn't the kind of thing. Every argument in this world can be countered. 
Every sign can be explained away. If Jesus came to us now, I know that we would drag him into the lab and ask questions, test, poke, and prod until we figured exactly out who he was and is. And our questions would never be finished. These critics, including us, we are buried under this supreme rationalism and this individualism, only listening to the voice to approve. We're just listening for these voices that, that, that if they approve our ego and our pleasures and our way of life, we go, you know, I think that, might, that way is probably true. We're blinded by it. And as Jesus says, we, we, we don't recognize the voice. They don't sense my love and care. And so no argument or sign will persuade them. My sheep, by contrast, they know my voice. They see and hear the eloquence of my words and my works. They trust and follow. Sheep recognize the voice and the face of the shepherd. It was a common practice in this time that all the sheep from different herds would be kept in a similar place outside of the city as people would go in to run their errands and they'd kind of be in this place and they'd be all mixed together. And then the shepherd would come back after picking up a gallon of milk and he would come back through this gate and there would be a gatekeeper and he'd call his sheep. They would recognize her voice and they would come because they knew, that she, they knew that shepherd's face. They knew the voice and they would come. So Jesus is saying, just like Ezekiel talked about the leaders of the church, the leaders of Israel, the leaders of God people need to be a good shepherd. It is important that our leaders are good shepherds. And if they are not, they should not be leaders. Shepherds are one who are willing to lay down their life for the other. Shepherds are ones who are humble enough to serve something greater than themselves. Shepherds are one who are courageous enough. Shepherds are these ones who care deeply for the flock, for the people. And we live in a day and time throughout the church, throughout the world, where there are just too many people who have power and privilege and are not shepherding well. And to that, Christ says, I'm the good shepherd. There is a way to be in this world. And you'll know my voice. So sheep may not be the smartest animals, we know that. But they do get something right. They hear the voice and they follow. So what is this voice? This voice that they hear, this voice that we are called to hear and to follow. You know what, Will? God just doesn't show up on a Monday morning and just speak clearly to me. How long are you going to keep us in suspense, God? Just make it plain. I think it's a journey, and it's a communal journey, to start to understand what this voice, this movement, this flow of God in our lives feels like. Father Richard Rohr says this about this voice. In the first half of our life, we usually internalize the voices of parents and teachers that very understandably emphasize obedience and authority. It's not a bad thing. It's just what they do. Spiritual directors and confessors know that those eternal voices are often mistaken for the voices of God for the rest of our lives. They shape us in the beginning. They protect us. But whatever those voices, the, those things that we hear, for, 
for too many of us, we just hang on to them forever, and then we give them the highest authority they could ever have. They are the voice of God. He continues, in the second half of life, which is not just an age thing, it's a spiritual development, we start to understand that life is not only about doing, it is about being. It's not only about our words, but it's about the way in which we flow, we move in this life. We've learned to listen to the different voices that guide us in the second half of life. These deeper voices will sound like risk, trust, surrender, uncommon sense, compassion, creativity, and love. They will be voices of an intimate stranger, a voice a voice that's from somewhere else, and yet it's my deepest self, my own voice, at the same time. Now, what he's not saying, so don't hear this, is that this voice will just always agree with you. It will stretch. That's what creativity does. It will risk. It will be wilder than you could ever imagine. But we often don't hear it. It finds a way of speaking more in the quiet places of our own lives. I remember coming to a realization as I tried to calm down some of the voices that I have had and that have held me down and begin to listen to this other voice in the midst of the silence. I know this is going to sound wrong, but I was surprised to realize that in some ways this voice, as Roy is saying, comes from my deepest self. Times it sounded like my own voice, and that scared me. I know I'm not God. But I know that God speaks from my very being, my own story. It knows what language I need to hear. And it speaks. How can we begin to listen to this voice and know of God's movement in our own life and follow it? Learning to listen to the voice of God that is within the giant, the, the gentle whisper in the midst of the storm. I've also learned to quiet down enough to turn off all the other voices of the world, of my ego, of those that I grew up with at times. And I'm saying, God, just speak to me. You know what the voice often sounds like? The only way I can describe it is a silent presence. It doesn't really even say much, but it's there. It's with me. This leads us into this part where Jesus says something that they're like, okay, now we can kill you. He says this, the Abba and I are one. This is the central thing to the whole faith, that God is one, that there is, this is the Shema, this is what is repeated every morning, and Jesus says, well, you know that oneness of God that we like, just uphold and is so beautiful, I'm, I'm part of that thing, that oneness. I'm part of that dance. That's when they pick up their stones. That's when they put together the plan. Jesus is saying in his own life, in his own humanity and divinity, that I am one with this creator, with this father, with this good shepherd. His voice is my voice, and we are in this beautiful dance together. As Thomas Merton said, we are already one, but we imagine we are not. And when we have to recover, and what we have to recover is our original unity. What we have to be is what we already are. Here is what is beautiful. Jesus is proclaiming this oneness, this part of this triune relational God. 
But he's not just saying it, this is for me. He's saying this, this unity with God is what I am ushering you into. It doesn't mean that you are God, but it means that you are united and one with God. Yeah, get that, chew on that, debate over that. Master Eckhart, one of the mystics, says it this way, when God laughs at the soul, the soul laughs back at God. I love that idea. The persons of the Trinity are begotten. When the Father laughs at the Son, the Son laughs back at the Father. That laughter gives pleasure, that pleasure gives joy, that joy gives love, and that love is the Holy Spirit. We are part of this embodied, incarnational, living, moving, and being, mystical, everyday dance with God to commune with. In God we live, we move, we have our being. Our life in Christ with the good shepherd is one of a life that moves to the swing, to the flow, to the life with God. This is what Christ is offering us. This is what we walk into with our sacred and beautiful lives. This is the journey that the good shepherd is leading us on.